0: Listener Production. Conflict is inevitable. It will always exist. We all need to understand it and we need to improve our behaviour around conflict. Some of those conflict-laden conversations are actually the conversations that lead to innovation. They lead to change. They lead to us challenging ourselves and doing something better. So we do want difficult conversations
1: I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. (sighs) Not many people I meet like conflict. That human path from harmony to disharmony rarely comes with a handbook for repair, and so we often will avoid it as much as we can. Most of us haven't ever been taught the skills to solve our conflicts, the skill to feel comfortable with conflict, the skill to think about it as a normal part of human relationships harmony, disharmony, repair. My next guest is an expert in all these cycles and one of the world's leading mediators. Nina Harding has mediated over 2,000 disputes and is also on numerous high profile panels for mediation services throughout the world, including the Commonwealth Ombudsman. For a living, she helps to resolve conflict in government, corporate environments, and has an outstanding reputation as someone that helps people have safe conversations about complex and difficult issues. Nina is also an author and holds a Masters of Laws and is a visiting senior lecturer at the Hong Kong University. Nina, welcome to Fast Track and thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thanks, Margie. It's um, such a
1: delight to join you. I just want to ask straight up, what led you to mediate conflict for a living? Because most of us avoid it and here you are putting yourself front and centre every day. There's a, a little bit of a joke between mediators that
0: either you love conflict or you hate it. And I think my background is that I hated conflict. I came from a uh, a household where there was lots of arguments, unresolved and a lot of discomfort around conflict. And so I suppose that led me to being interested in understanding conflict better and also helping other people resolve conflict and find peace in their own lives. But uh, I suppose also I fell into it. Uh, I studied law I was working for a law firm in London. One of the partners of the firm said to me, hello, you're Australian, you must know about this mediation thing and uh, we want you to help set up a centre for dispute resolution. And at the time I was a good Aussie working overseas and I said, okay, sure. Uh, Is there something I can read about that? Because at the time I didn't know anything about mediation. It wasn't taught in the law schools back then. And so I fell into this new way of thinking, and I learned a lot about mediation very, very quickly. I was the first full-time employee of the Centre for Dispute Resolution, known as CEDA. They still exist today. They do amazing work. And after that, I just, I guess I was a bit broken for the law. I didn't want to go back to representing one party. I like sitting in the middle. I like hearing both stories. I like trying to help people to map a way forward.
1: And as I said, finding some peace. So falling into mediation and then falling in love with mediation. Absolutely. Yeah. I
0: I love the work that I do. As you know, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now and I'd never grow tired of it. I never grow tired of the stories. Every single story is unique and different. You could have five disputes that are exactly the same in terms of the content, but everyone experiences it differently. Everyone has a different background, a different understanding of conflict, and so expresses themselves differently, negotiates differently. So every single moment of my work is different from the previous day, and I just love it.
1: That's fantastic, Nina. So how does it apply to us in the world? Because you must know a lot about conflict. Am I right in saying most people hate conflict? It's not something I would choose in a day to embrace. I much prefer a path of harmony in life. But why do we hate conflict? I'm not sure that everyone hates conflict. We all
0: know that person in our workplace who loves conflict, loves revving it up, loves stirring the pot. Uh, The person who likes to tell the stories and likes to gossip because they really enjoy the conflict. They enjoy the action, the drama and everything else. So not everyone hates conflict. It is something to do with our upbringing and our background and our personal experiences and possibly also our cultural background as well how comfortable we are with conflict. So for me, from my Anglo-Saxon background, we don't talk about conflict. It's not polite to raise it. If somebody's having a difficult time, we'll talk about the weather and do all of that. So my cultural background, my upbringing is that conflict is an uncomfortable thing that we shouldn't deal with. And that also presents problems in modern day Australia because we have so many people from different cultural backgrounds. We've got a multitude of different views of conflict, different views of what negotiation should look like, different ideas about how we should resolve conflict, and that often leads to conflict as well. But what I would say to you, Margie, is if you're not comfortable with conflict, we all need to understand it and we need to improve our behaviour around conflict, because this is an essential piece of the puzzle of life. It really is. I see so many amazing people, and I know you do in your work, that are outstanding, you know, technical experts or business experts. And if they don't have that piece of the puzzle that is conflict resolution, that will eventually stop them.
1: So it's a really important piece. Can we jump into that a little bit now, Nina? I'm I'm curious, because So many people don't have the skills of repair, as I like to call it, and in your profession, mediation, and how to get through problems. And they either run away or they fight or make it worse in lots of ways. What are these skills? You know, what does it look like and why aren't we teaching them in schools?
0: Look, I think we are starting to. I know that when my kids, who are now adults, when they were in primary school and in high school, there were different pieces of the conflict puzzle that were being taught in a way that I certainly didn't experience and probably you didn't experience when you were at school either. So, you know, I remember when my kids came home and maybe people will uh, remember this language, stop, I don't like it. I remember my kids would hold this stop sign hand up, stop, they'd say to each other, I don't like it. And that was the beginning of a conflict understanding in primary school. And as they got older, kids got a bit better with this. But ultimately, these are skills that we need to practice and we need to get better ourselves. You can go to every training course. You can read every book. Uh, My husband used to say you can read all of Freud's works, but eventually you have to ask a girl on a date And that is the same with conflict. It's not just about learning, it's about trying and becoming more comfortable. So the first thing is, number one, realizing that conflict is inevitable. It will always exist. It will always happen. And in terms of businesses, Margie, some of those conflict-ridden or laden conversations are actually the conversations that lead to innovation. They lead to change they lead to newness, they lead to us challenging ourselves and doing something better. So we do want difficult conversations, but whether that conversation that has conflict in it goes in a positive way or a negative way, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. So we've got to become more comfortable with that.
1: And build those skills by both doing and understanding and accepting this idea that conflict is functional. I remember someone telling me that, families that were functional were dysfunctional because they fought and they challenged and then they repaired. And so I'm imagining the same sort of thing in many of the disputes that you have, like pushing through that dysfunction.
0: A lot of the time people say to me, we couldn't have this conversation without you, or we're amazed that we could talk about those things. Those things were so difficult before you came along. And that's why sometimes you people involve people like me. So I'm a conflict expert. That's my expertise. I'm not an expert in manufacturing. I'm not an expert in IT. I'm not an expert in construction, but I can sit in any of those spaces because I can help with the conflict conversations that happen in those spaces. So sometimes you might need the help of another, but here are some of the things you can do yourself. So number one, realise that conflict is inevitable, it will always exist and if it makes you feel uncomfortable then you need to walk towards it
1: and not away from it. So number one is get comfortable with this idea of conflict.
0: Get more comfortable with it. If it makes you feel nervous, if it makes you feel anxious, think about why is that? What is it about me that makes me feel so uncomfortable with that? And I often remembered that when I was a child you didn't want to bring more conflict in the room because there was enough there already. And so I would remain silent. And as an adult, remaining silent is fine for a while, until you feel your needs are not being met, or, oh no, I walked away from another conflict and didn't get what I needed from that. So just trying to recognise what makes me feel so uncomfortable? What is it about conflict? What what impact does it have on me physically? Does it make me want to get out of there? Does it make me want to run? Does it make me want to fight? And then reflecting on that and saying, what is it about me and who I am that makes me behave in that way? And once we start thinking about that, it kind of normalizes things a little bit more. Then saying to yourself, particularly the listeners who are leaders in organizations, I would like them to say to themselves, what am I going to be proud of in the future? If I look back on these conversations in a year's time, will I be proud of my behaviour? And if we sort of use that lens, I think that will help people to be a bit more strategic, a bit more thoughtful in regard to their responses to conflict. (laughs)
1: Do we have to actually, as we lean into something that might be recognised as a high conflict moment at work, do we have to bring someone like you in or are there sort of models or things that we can follow that help us to actually deal with that? We mightn't be perfect, but a way through, navigating through the conflict.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things that I teach people when they want to become mediators, we sort of talk about a a model of mediation It's a, you know, quite a complex model. It's got a few steps involved, but here's the simple version. So the simple version is I want you to imagine a line, imagine a straight line in front of you. And on the left-hand side of the line, that's your understanding phase. So about 70% of the length of that line is what we call understanding and exploration. So when somebody comes to you and says, I've got a problem, I don't like the way that, that's, an opportunity to understand things from their perspective. So what do you do in that 70% of the model? You listen. You might summarise back. So if somebody's coming at you like a freight train, I'm really angry, you're doing this again. Stop for a moment, listen to them and just summarise back. Let me check. I've got this. You're upset that we are changing the supply agreement. Is that what the problem is? And if somebody says yes, that's sensational. You've already, already taken things forward. But imagine they say no, then you need to go a little bit deeper. Tell me a little bit more. So that understanding and exploration phase, we say ask, don't tell. So asking questions, trying to understand, it's a very respectful uh, position to be in. You're listening, you're reflecting back what you're hearing, slowing things down, being courteous, being a good leader. Once you do that for about 70% of the conversation, you can then move into what we call negotiation and agreement, which is the last 30% of that conversation. So here's what that sounds like. So you tell me you have a problem with the supply agreement. You tell me that you've got a problem in terms of the timing and how much consultation we've done. And, of course, you want to talk about the financial implications Is that right? Yes, says the other person. Okay, well, let me explain what's important to us. So you'll explain your own position or the organisation's position. And then you'll say, let's start looking at some options that would work for us and would work for you. Why don't we look at consultation first? What do you think needs to happen in the future? We talk about that. We come up with some options. And, And in terms of conflict resolution and negotiation generally, A good negotiation, a good dispute resolution process isn't just about getting what you want. It's about recognising that if you meet the needs of the other person as well, that's probably going to be a long-term sustainable outcome, which is a really good thing. So getting options and finally reaching an agreement, making sure both parties understand what's being agreed to. Now, this conversation could be about a supply agreement. It could be simply about scheduling at work or the way that we communicate with each other. But really important, understanding first, listening, reflecting back what you're hearing before you try and solve it.
1: I'm not surprised by any of that, Nina. As a coach and facilitator, absolutely get the ask, don't tell I'm actually surprised by 70%. And I think that will be a challenge for most people to think that spending 70% of your time understanding before jumping or rushing to some sort of solution and option, it's a really great sort of balance to think, oh, I'm not spending 10% listening and 90% negotiating. So great. I love your arrow. I love the simplicity of it, but I love that really deep point there as well. So you've described a few little things there, Nina, but I'm curious, what does an actual mediation look like? You know, I'm curious to see the steps. You've spoken a bit about it, but you go in as the mediator, then what happens? Do people throw chairs at each other? (laughs) No,
0: not in my mediations. (laughs) Actually, uh, I think uh, mediation is a lot less exciting than people imagine it actually is. So let me let me describe to you one that I did quite recently between two senior executives in a business. Their relationship had broken down to a point where they didn't actually feel comfortable being in the same office together. That was problematic, of course, as you can imagine. They were both managing teams and the conflict between them was sort of hemorrhaging into their teams as well. So the teams were seeing the way that the managers were... Uh, communicating with each other and actually the communication between the two teams was breaking down as well. So problematic. I was asked to come in and mediate between these two senior execs and this is what it looked like. I spoke to each of them separately prior to the mediation to understand what their concerns were, to talk to them about what mediation could realistically provide and to explain my role. Both of them told me things from their perspective And usually as a mediator, listening to both parties, you can see some overlaps and you can see some areas where people are light years apart. So I start to listen and it helps me to understand what's important for people. I then encourage people to prepare well for the mediation. So I said to both of these gentlemen, go away, think about what's most important for you. Try and think about the language that you use. So use neutral diplomatic language if you can. And then we scheduled the mediation. So we came back and we mediated that dispute. We actually were able to meet at that time. So we uh, sat down. I sat down with these two gentlemen and I said some opening words. Hello, I'm the mediator. Welcome to this mediation. I explained what was going to happen and I handed over to the person who had actually made the original complaint about his colleague. And I said, it's your opportunity now to talk about what brings you to mediation and what you'd like to achieve. He talked about this really, the, the relationship that had been good in the past and had broken down over a period of time and broken down to an extent that it was causing him sleepless nights. It was affecting his health and really affecting his commitment to the organisation. And he was really questioning whether or not he had wasted the last several years of his life working there. So fairly dramatic things. The other person listened and when that guy had finished, the other man had a chance to speak. And he described things, actually quite similar things, how the relationship had been good in the past, how it had broken down, how he felt it was he was unable to resolve things and make them better, but also that it was affecting his health, his mental health as well, and his relationships at home. So straight away we could see how important this dispute was and how much effort we needed to put in. We then talked about the issues one by one, how they wanted to communicate, what needed to improve, why things had broken down in the start, and some of the events that had happened over the last sort of 18-month period. By talking about those events, they didn't necessarily agree with everything that the other person said, but they got a clearer understanding of what was going on. They got a clearer understanding of why things had broken down. By the end of the mediation, they'd reached an agreement about who was going to do what, how they were going to return to working together in the same office, and indeed how they were going to support each other. Four weeks later, I called them back and said, I'm I'm now ringing each of you to see how things are going and whether things have improved. And both of them said, thank goodness, thank goodness we did that. We're now able to communicate better We'll probably never be great friends as we were in the past, but now we can work together and I'm sleeping so much
1: better. So a really, really simple process. Well, simple but meaningful. And I imagine having people face-to-face is also a great advantage.
0: Look, it is, Margie, but I have to say over the last 18 months, I've done hundreds of mediations via Zoom and sometimes they actually work really well. I did one uh, quite recently with um, a Middle Eastern business and those gentlemen were unable to travel to Australia for the negotiation. It happened over Zoom and it actually worked really, really well. So sometimes doing it remotely can work better, but yes, I do like sitting in the room with people.
1: Nina, sadly our time is almost up, but I'm very keen to milk you for a few more tips about what skills you recommend all leaders develop. I heard you earlier talk about get comfortable with discomfort. Just curious, is there anything else that you think that we really need to do as leaders and as workers to be able to improve in this area?
0: Absolutely. So the next thing I'd say is don't just focus on someone's position. So if somebody comes to you and says, I'm furious, that person, that person's a bully, that person's, there's, you know, underhanded behaviour, look beneath that and imagine the image of a tree up on the surface of the tree. The leaves of the tree is where people make their allegations, their demands, the things they want. A good uh, dispute resolver looks beneath the surface down to the roots to understand what is motivating that behaviour. So when somebody says to me, I demand compensation, I say, tell me a little bit about what happened and what has led you to that point. That person's a bully. Tell me about the behaviour that doesn't work for you. So we look beneath the surface. Trying to use diplomatic language is a really good thing if you can. Take out the emotion. Be thoughtful about the language that you use. Some leaders say to me, I'm good with conflict because my door is always open. I'll listen until I'm blue in the face. That is not necessarily a great idea. You don't need to listen until you're blue in the face. You actually just need to listen well. Listen for those interests, the things beneath the surface. Identify what's driving behaviour. Look for options. Help people to reach meaningful agreements. Get people together in the room. If it's complex, don't do that. If, if you feel you don't have the skills, get somebody like me or Margie involved and, and we can certainly help you have those conversations. There's lots more I could say, Margie, but uh, maybe that's a, a good starting point for everyone.
1: What I love about what you've said, Nina, is it's accessible to us all and it's actually encouraging and possible to actually help yourself through the conflicts that arise in all our lives. But I do know that you are one person I'd come to any time that I had a complex or difficult issue. So thank you so much for coming and sharing all of your tips with us on Fast Track today.
0: Thanks, Margie. It's an absolute honour and a privilege to be here. So thanks so much.
1: Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin.
0: Listener.